Standing, you can be seated. Again, welcome and good morning. For those that are joining us uh, by live stream, we're happy that you're here as well. And so uh, we've been talking about uh, what the Bible doesn't say. And I know that sounds really negative to go, we should be just preaching what the Bible says. And we are. That's exactly what we're doing. We're going to talk about what the Bible actually says. But what we have to do as we're learning what the Bible says, we also have to know what it doesn't say because sometimes we remember things that we hear all the time and a lot of us growing up we have heard things the wrong way or we've manipulated it a little bit to be if we're honest exactly what we want it to be for the situation that we're in and what we want to do is to help all of us see exactly what the bible says and so we've been doing this for several weeks, and we're coming towards the end of our series. And so hopefully uh, God has been speaking to you um, to lead a, a life that's based on the principles of God's word more than things that, we, that we've heard. So here, here's the thing. It's, uh, we've, we say this a lot. I, I say it too. We'll quote our favorite preacher, our favorite Bible author. And sometimes, if, you know, if you're honest— Sometimes we know the quotes of our, of our favorite author more than we know what the Word of God says. And the problem is, if we keep diluting it that way, all of a sudden our life is not the Word of God. It's a ser series of tweets. It's a series of blog posts. It's a series of, of highlights instead of what the Word of God says. And now, if you're, if you're uber spiritual and you read no other book except the Word of God, amen, sometimes you take a highlighter and you highlight one verse, and you don't read what came before or after, because that one verse for that moment just went, ooh, and it does that. But what a, what a student of the Word of God does is he, that, ver that, that verse that made you have that emotional excitement, a student of the Word of God reads what's before and after it to make sure that it's also in context. So for those of us who consider ourselves to be uh, dispensational premillennials, premillennialists, which means basically this, that we believe that Israel and the church are separated and that there's going to be a, a, a time at the end where the church gets raptured up, we're going to be completely out of a seven-year uh, tribulation period, then we're going to come back down with, with Christ in the second coming. I know that's a lot. I'm not going over that. I'm just telling you. That's what we, what we normally believe, right? For those of us, sometimes when we, we get so bent out of shape and we want to get so scholarly and we go well that was for israel he was talking to israel if god says he's gonna he, he's gonna keep his promises to israel he's gonna keep his promises to me too right so we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater because of some technicality in order not to see what the word of god says because the entire counsel of god is all 66 books right and so we have to read not just our favorite psalm or proverb we have to get into the word of god we don't just keep reading john and romans because that's what we read when we first got saved we have to go beyond those things too in our studies in Hebrews, we mentioned the fact that, that the, the, the readers of the letter, at this point, the writer says, should have been teaching and said they still needed to go back to what? The basics of the Word of God. So if we don't get the foundations right, if we don't understand what it means to honestly look at what the Word of God says literally, instead of just trying to find phrases that make us feel better in the moment, because like we've mentioned before, sometimes the word of God will not make you feel better. It's going to make you feel worse. You say, well, Rob, what? Think about it. If you and I are, have dug ourselves into this crazy hole, it's not easy to get out of that hole, right? 
Work is involved. Digging out of it, climbing up, all those things have to happen, and those things aren't easy. Is it worth it? Yes, because we get out of the hole, right? But that work that we do, when you apply that to how we approach the Bible, that work is important. And so what does the Bible actually say about things? And so we've gone over a lot of different uh, traditional phrases and thoughts and, and how some of them are very moral thoughts. They have good intentions behind them, but they miss the mark of what the Bible actually says. And today is one of those topics. Before we put the title screen up, before we do that, I want to share with you a story, okay? And I know you guys already have the bulletin, so you know what the title is, okay? So it's not like some huge spoiler alert. <gasps> no, you, you know what it is, right? Um, but here's what I want to share with you. So I'm about 12 years old at this point, and uh, my parents moved us out to Long Island, or how we say it in Long Island, Long Island, right? And you don't live in Long Island, you live on Long Island, okay? And so we lived on Long Island, but most of my family still lived in New York City, and a lot of them lived in Brooklyn. And so whenever my family would visit us uh, from, especially my dad's side, when they would visit us in Long Island, you thought they were staying for a week. And what it was, they weren't bringing, it was never clothes, but they would always bring bags of groceries. And it was kind of like courtesy, hey, we're going to eat your food, we're going to replenish it before we left, right? And so it was really neat whenever my family would come because they would always bring stuff that mom would never buy, right? So for me, I'm not supposed to have a lot of sweets, but you know what my favorite thing in the world is? Sweets, right? So there's one, I've, I have not, and, I, and I, I am being completely honest, I have not had this cake since I've tried to lose weight, okay, because I know exactly what it is. It's basically crack and like cancer in the same, I mean, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to feel awesome, but you're going to die as soon as you eat it, right? Uh, so Entenmann's, right? Who here knows Entenmann's, right? Entenmann's, hello, right? Entenmann's is a problem because always buy one, get one free, all right? So Entenmann's has this cake called Louisiana Crunch. <sighs> I mean, it's, Wow like 90, cal 90 carbs in it, but it's like, it's insane, right? So we would always like wonder what Entenmann's cake they were going to bring when they came because they knew that mom and dad were not going to buy it because my dad's cheap, you know? And so my, they would bring this stuff and, and my dad would go, you know, why do you bring this and all that? So whatever. So I was, one time they came over and I was trying to be this, 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 um, I don't know if it was ego. I don't know if I was trying to be nice, but whatever it is, I had 20 bucks that one of my relatives gave me for some holiday or something. And 20 bucks back when I was a kid was still about 20 bucks. That's nothing, nothing big. I'm, I'm not that old, right? And so um, I took the 20 bucks and I told my dad, I said, hey, I want to buy Chinese food for everybody, okay? Those of us who have bought Chinese food know 20 bucks. I mean, it's going to be 10 minutes or less to get it, but it's not going to be 10, 20 bucks to pay for the whole thing, right? And you're going to be like starving like an hour later, right? So... I said, hey, I want 20 bucks. And my dad's like, I don't know. I, go, I just want, I want, to, I want to do it. So I order, and I, and I, and I get on the phone, and um, I, have, I, have, I have dope ordering skills. I know how to order a lot. I, I, I order like a king, but I want to pay like a, like a pauper, right? So I get on the phone, and like whatever my dad normally orders, I was like, I'm going to order two of these things, right? So two roast pork egg foo youngs. My dad never gets crab ragoon, so I'm getting crab ragoon. Um, you know, my dad gets one egg roll, and he wants to cut it in half. This is family, baby. So I got, you know, everybody a full egg roll. When, uh, and back then, they didn't give you the total over the phone because nobody accepted credit cards back then. You paid when they, when they got there, right? And so not, we're not talking tip yet either, all right? So they came, they knocked on the door, and I, and I walk up, 
like a boss. And I'm like, yeah, balling. And I pull out the, the, the $20 bills like, this should cover it. And the guy looks at me, and the guy doesn't know English that well, but he knew I was an idiot. And he looked at me, and he goes, and my dad already knew, comes behind me, and has here. So my dad did not give me my 20 bucks back because my dad's cheap, you know? But my dad also is a great father and wants to teach me a lesson. So I lost the 20 bucks. He pays for the rest of it. And I tell you that whole story to tell you this. Money is something that you need, okay? But here is a common phrase that you may have heard. Money is the root of all evil. And that's our title for today. Money is the root of all evil evil. Now, you may say, well, no, that's not true. It's the love of money. I know because you've heard a thousand sermons on this. There's nothing new that I'm bringing to you today. But we, can we all agree that money is not the root of all evil? The love of money is the root of all evil. We're going to get into that portion of scripture, right? But when someone says money is the root of all evil, here's what they're basically saying. So Dave, let's go to the next slide there, okay? So basically what we're saying is this, or what we think that we're saying is this, an inanimate object has the human quality of evil, or money corrupts, right? Okay, so next slide. Here's a question. Why hasn't that stopped us from wanting it? Because money makes the world go round. Wanting money isn't bad. Wanting money is what causes you to be able to go to the grocery store. So the problem isn't the money. The problem is the love of this money. And so we're going to go through 1 uh, Timothy chapter 6 in the, the end of the first letter that the Apostle Paul writes to his, 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 his preacher boy, Timothy, who's pastoring a church. And, he, and Timothy's really young in the faith, but he's establishing these things that Timothy needs to know, not only to establish Timothy as a, as, as a preacher that knows how to rightly divide the word of truth, but also because Timothy is going to be dealing with false teachers who will be throwing in some nuggets that sound right in the beginning, but they are completely and totally against Scripture. And so as he talks to him, he gives him all of this advice. And so 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we're going to be. We're going to read through the whole portion of Scripture, and then we're going to spend some time looking at where this, uh, where the actual verse about the love of money is the root of all evil, where that actually ties in the stuff that comes before it and the stuff that comes after it, okay? And so just if you guys have noticed, a lot of times we don't get through the entire outline, that's completely fine. Because the, what I want you to do is once we take the time on the, on the actual theme of what we're talking about today, I want you to have some notes to be able to go back and finish the chapter if we don't get to it, okay? And so I don't want to be uh, strapped by time, but I also don't want us leaving here at 2 p.m. in the afternoon either, okay? All right, so 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 is where we're going to read. We're going to read the whole chapter. All who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of all respect, so that in God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. Let those who have believing masters not be disrespectful to them because they are brothers, but serve them even better, since, they, uh, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Teach and encourage these things. If anyone teaches false doctrine and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the teaching that promotes godliness, he's conceited. And understands nothing but has an unhealthy interest from, in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, 
and constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out. If we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you have made a good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the presence of God, who gave a good, uh, in the presence of God who gives life to all, and of Christ Jesus who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate. I charge you to keep this command without fault or failure until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God will bring this about in his own time. He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, whom none has ever, none has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal power. Amen. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God who richly provides with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and willing to share, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the coming age so that they will take hold of what is truly life. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, avoiding irreverent and empty speech and contradictions from what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some people have departed from the faith. Grace be with you all. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. So Timothy gets this letter from Paul, and Paul is giving him some instructions. So sometimes in the letters that we usually call epistles, uh, the, the writer is either writing to a church, Paul writes most of it, and he's either writing to church, to the church at whole to be read out loud, and sometimes he writes letters to individuals. And this is one of those letters that he writes to an individual person. But remember, just because he wrote it to an individual person in the first century doesn't mean it, does, it, it doesn't apply to us today. And if you're not a pastor or in full-time ministry, don't think that you don't have to listen to it because the context in the original is just to a pastor. This has to do with how things should play out in, in everyone's life but especially for those who are an example to other people. And guys, if you haven't noticed it or not, all of us are examples to other people in different shades of our life. And so we have to look at these things of what the Word of God says. And so right before chapter 6 starts, uh, Paul tells Timothy about elders in the church and how they should be honored. Okay, And so he says that not for him to, be, to go to people and go, honor me. It's for him to go, you're the elder, dude. Like, handle this stuff. Okay, because remember, just like a lot of the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote, he's writing to churches that were sharing the gospel, doing well, 
continuing to see people come to Jesus and, and leaders being uh, uh, reproduced and all that stuff was happening. But in the midst of all this, there was always these false teachers that tried to come in. And remember, like I said, it's always when, is it when the Apostle Paul is there or when he's not there? No, when he's not there, right? When, when he leaves, these guys just come up like rats out of the sewer. And they just like start saying all these things. They talk bad about the Apostle Paul. They say, hey, look, he's not here. And all these different things. And, and they start uh, like maybe teaching about 95% of what the Apostle Paul said and then throwing a few things there, uh, either about Judaism or the old pagan way of life, and then try to compromise this thing and saying, hey, you can live and serve Jesus, but at the same time, you don't have to change everything about what you were before and all that stuff. And then at the end, they would go, oh, yeah, and we'd like to be paid to continue to teach. So this is one of the things that, that they were uh, dealing with. And so when, when Paul tells Timothy at the end of chapter 5, you know, that the elders are supposed to be honored, he's, he's saying it like, hey, man, this is, this is your responsibility, to handle these things. You don't just let them, don't let them run over you, but how do you fight the good fight? You, you teach the right stuff. What's better than any kind of fist is the truth of the word of God. And so sometimes, you know, the whole world may lie about you, but what God says about you is what the most important thing is. And so sometimes we want to brawl our way out of stuff when we just need to let the word of God stand for us. And so he's teaching him these things. And so in chapter 6, he's bringing the letter to a close. And so after he talks about elder, uh, honoring elders, he now brings up a very weird relationship for us in 2020. And this is the relationship between slaves and masters. Okay? And so this is the first two verses. And in the first two verses, he basically, this is what, this is what he says. Those who are under the yoke as slaves should regard their own masters as worthy of respect so that God's name and his teaching will not be blasphemed. All right, so here's, and I, I know we brought this up before. The, the writers of the New Testament and, the, and the, the writers of the Old Testament didn't deal with every societal issue that was happening, right? Because it's the truth of, of the Messiah that was coming. It's the truth of the gospel that, that, raised, that reigns supreme over everything else. And then once someone accepts Jesus Christ, there is this growth process that has to happen. And that was the same in the Old Testament as they're looking towards the Messiah, and it was the same in the New Testament as they're looking back to what Jesus Christ the Messiah did. And so sometimes you're going to see things that were a part of the culture that would just not be okay today, that Paul doesn't say anything about it. He just says, hey, in the current state that you're in, Here's how you live, okay? So that's important for those of us to understand, especially those of us that are, that are younger. So hey, if you're younger than me, I want you to look at me real quick, all right? Okay, if you're younger than me, I want you to look at me. It's not okay for you to get upset about everything that you don't agree with and destroy everything because you didn't get your way. And sometimes there are gonna be things that are completely and totally stinking wrong. But your first responsibility is to make sure that you bless the people in your home, your mom and dad, you bless the people on your block, you bless your neighborhood, you bless your community, you bless your leaders. And it's not about you. Now, those of you that just went amen to those kids, I'm talking to you too. Because some of us, we think because we've arrived either financially or even in our age that all of a sudden everybody bows down to us. It's not about you. And the reason I want you to say that is this. You say, well, I've done a lot. I know you've done a lot. Thank you. God bless you. Keep doing it. But it's not about you. 
And this is what he's telling to us now. Before, verse 2 is going to talk about a, a, a master who's a believer. Before he even gets to that discussion, he says, hey, slave, I know, slavery's messed up right? Sometimes you were born into it. Sometimes it's because you couldn't pay a debt. Sometimes it's because your parents did something. Whatever it is, it's really messed up to own people. But if you find yourself in that position where you're owned by somebody else, Paul says, here's how you act. And you may say, well, Rob, that, that sounds harsh. Honestly, and I can't be dogmatic about this, but the way I apply this to my life is this. I'm not a slave. So I don't have it as bad as these people. So if they can do it, I got to be able to do it, okay? Like, seriously, honestly, if a slave has to listen to his master who may be beating him, who may be torturing his family, if God, if Paul says through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, please treat your master with respect so that the gospel can still go forth, man, if they had to do it, it really shouldn't be hard for me to have to do it if I have to suffer a little bit, right? Remember, guys, your freedom is in Jesus, your absence of fear is in Jesus. It's not in the nation that you live in. It's not in our leaders. Because that, my friends, could go away one day. And you may have all the shotguns in the world, but they got tanks. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's going to be a time you're going to have to realize, I'm, I'm, yeah, you're going to go out. You're going to meet the, and there's still some of us here who still have to live with this stuff, all right? So freedom is not in a nation. Freedom is in Jesus, okay? And so that no fear of where you're going to go when you die, that, that no fear, being able to live your life in a different way, that fear that is, is gone now. He says that's a motivation for you when your master is a jerk to still bless them and serve them. Why? So that the gospel can go forward. It's not about us. It's about the gospel of Jesus going out. So now he pivots. He goes, okay, because some of them were like, oh, yeah? Well, my master's slave, uh, my, my, my master is a Christian, and he's still a jerk. What do I do? Okay, verse 2, right? Okay, because some of us actually have people like this. All right. Let those who have believing masters, okay, not be disrespectful to them because they are believers, but serve them how? Even better, since those who benefit from their service are believers and dearly loved. Okay, so he, say, he says this. If your master comes to Jesus, and it may be because of you, you're still not on equal ground culturally. You're still not on equal ground in society. He still could kill you, you know? And so don't be disrespectful because now you guys are equals. It, it was never that way anyway in culture. You never were equals. Just because he got saved doesn't mean all of a sudden he's going to emancipate you the next day, Right? But he says this, a good master knows that he has to take care of his servants, but what do you do on your end? You work even harder to be respectful. Why? Because that person is going to bless other people, and so don't ruin that guy's spiritual life because you're hung up on the fact that you're still in the same cultural situation that you were before. And you may say, Rob, slavery's wrong. I get it. There's a lot of stuff in 2020 that's also wrong but we're called to live our life here until God takes us home, and we're called to be people who will, who will lead the way and make the paths wide for people to hear about Jesus. So don't be the bottlenecker of things that God's trying to do because you're caught up on where you are in your life, okay? That's kind of what verse 1 and 2 is saying. That's, that's the application that you and I should have. We don't focus on 
oh man, slaves are wrong, and, and having masters, we're not going to look at verses 1 and 2. No, we've we got to look at it, because that's, Paul says, hey, yeah, it's really messed up the way society is. I get it, but because you live here, here's how we act. All right, so now let's go to verses 3, and now we're going we're gonna to read for a little bit, okay? So the next thing, Dave, you can go to the next slide. All right, so understanding contentment. Okay, so he goes, slaves, listen to your masters, right? Really messed up phrase for 2020. It really is. And then he says, hey, by the way, while you're serving your master as a slave, be content. Dude, that just, if anyone else besides the word of God told us that, We'd be like, yeah, you could take, like, you know, right? You know what I mean? Like, no, this, this, is, this is the word of God. You see how it's so countercultural? And, and sometimes the word of God is against everything that we've grew up believing, feeling, and like made part of our DNA. Hey, continue to serve as a slave and be content. Holy cow. All right, now let's read verses 3 to 10. If anyone teaches... Okay, so at the end of verse 2, he says, encourage and teach these things. All right, teach and encourage these things. So he's saying, hey, this is words coming from an apostle. It's still here for us today. So these are things that you have to teach throughout the church, okay? Remember, Timothy, you're an elder. This is your job. You have to say some of these hard things, okay? Like, Timothy's supposed to go to the slaves. I'm not going to free you tonight, dude. But, like, you know, serve your master. And when he comes to Jesus, continue to serve him. That's, that's, that's tough, and then he says this, so if anybody goes against this teaching, okay, false doctrine, and does not agree with the sound teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, okay, remember, apostles were taught directly by Jesus Christ, so the things that they say were delegated through Jesus Christ, so that's how we have this being the word of God, and with the teaching that promotes godliness, so the application promoting a life of godliness, someone who goes against this, okay, verse 4, he is conceited and understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words. From these come envy, quarreling, slander, evil suspicions, and a, and a constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth, who imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. All right, so let's, let's, let's unpack this, these few verses here, okay? So he talks about anybody, anybody who goes against what the Word of God teaches, from everything he said in First Timothy, including the part about how slaves are supposed to respect their masters, okay? Anybody who teaches opposite of this, so Paul calls this false doctrine or false teaching, right? So he's putting anything, the things that are, uh, I, I don't, I don't want to downgrade what the Word of God, the things that seem more practical in the Word of God than, than theological, is that, is that probably the best way to say it? Okay. They all come from God. So if you, if you consider something deep, that's not the only truth in the word of God. The things that are very easy to accept or things that are like Christianity 101, obviously those things are important too. It's not just sm like the really intellectual cerebral stuff that's supposed to be listened to the most. Everything's supposed to be listened to in the word of God, right? So he goes, so he puts this all under the category of false teaching. He says the false teaching, if they do this, okay, and they don't agree with the sound teaching of the members coming from Jesus, right? He's, and the teaching that promotes to live a godly life, this is what he says about people like that. This is where we are if we don't follow what the word of God says or believe what the word of God says. He says that he's conceited. He's full of himself. 
but also that he understands nothing. He's ignorant, okay? Paul is not going to mince words in this chapter. He's not going to say, hey, those guys, they mean well, but no. He's saying, honestly, these guys are all about themselves, and they're dumb. They know nothing of the word of God. Okay, he says, understands nothing, but has an unhealthy interest. So have you ever met someone, and if you fall in this category, I'm hoping the Holy Spirit will, will talk to you about it right now because you probably don't realize you're, you're like this, okay? But some people love to have arguments and unhealthy disputes. Like that, they think their spiritual gift is to be a thorn in our flesh. And people like that, that's only when they're happy is when they're arguing about something. And we've talked about this before, how sometimes these arguments are so just like not important that it takes us away from the goal. But he says this, he says that those who have an unhealthy entrance in disputes and arguments over words. So, so in context, here's what was happening. Paul would write something, uh, the, the pastors, the elders would be teaching something, and what the false teachers would do, they would do just like Satan did. They would say, did God really say, just like Satan, they would go, hey, did, did Paul really say that? Hey, maybe Paul didn't use the best word when he said faithful. He probably means do your best. Or you've heard that on, you, you hear that today. We hear that all the time with the word of God being watered down to conform to what we think we can handle instead of recognizing the word of God is supposed to convict us to change. The word God is not supposed to line up and be relevant to us. The Word of God is relevant all the time, and we have to get on board with what the Word of God says. And the problem is that that's what he's saying. He, they, they would change the words, and so the arguments they would have were arguments that basically did this. They wanted to circle the discussion so that the plane never gets landed, and so they never have to be called out for what they do. Well, did Paul say that? Let's think about that for a few weeks. And this is cultural, especially in Greek culture. Remember how Paul went to Mars Hill and all those guys did all day was do what? Debate. Debate, that's all they did. They didn't have jobs. Nice work if you can get it, right? 12 hours a day, I don't agree with you. I believe this. And then, I mean, that's what they did. This was part of their culture. And he goes, they argue over words. And so from these arguments, okay, here's what happens. Envy, right? Still, because they're not getting their way, the people are not buying into their argument. Quarreling, they continue to fight. Slander, they, they talk bad about the people that they don't agree with. Evil suspicions, they think badly about the people they don't agree with. And constant disagreement among people whose minds are depraved and deprived of the truth. They continue to fight. The cycle continues to go, and it gets, and it gets increasingly more hot and more, and more fervently opposed to what the gospel is trying to do. And he says what, what happens is the, the reason why they argue, the reason why they do this, and Paul brings it out. And this is, this is crazy because I don't think, at least I didn't, I wouldn't think this right away that the reason why they were doing this is for what Paul says their reason was. Okay, for me, I'm thinking they want notoriety. I'm thinking they want to be heard. I'm thinking they want ego. They just want, they want to be heard, but in a way that, that they're right, and now they would stop listening to Paul and start listening to them. But remember, the last rule of their playbook is for what? And Paul calls it out. They do this. They continue to envy. They continue to be suspicious. They continue to, to drive discontentment. Why? For material gain. 
man, sometimes, you know, I, I, when, I, when I really studied this, I was like, man, I don't think that would be the first thing I thought of. And maybe you did. But like, man, was that what it was? They wanted not just notoriety, they wanted stuff. They wanted things. And so when we approach verse 10, when it talks about the love of money, I want you to put in there, and I don't think this does any disservice to Scripture at all. It's not just money, it's stuff. What are the things, this, what, are, what are the gains that we're trying to make in our life? Because the principle applies to specifically money, but it also applies to what money can get us, right? So he says they are discontent because they, bless you, Gwen. They're, they're discontent with, uh, with, with what they have, okay? But here's what, okay, remember, what does, okay, so what does, Tr- uh, uh, true teaching and what does sound teaching from the Lord Jesus Christ get us? Because a teaching that promotes what? What does it say earlier? It promotes godliness, right? Okay, so we can make the correlation then that, that false teaching doesn't promote godliness, right? That's, that's not hard, right? So here's what he says in the next verse. But godliness, okay, the sound teaching is going to lead to this. Godliness with contentment is great gain. So these are one of those add-to-your-faith types of chapters where it's not just that we are godly. What keeps us on that path to godliness? Being content. Being okay with what you have. Remember, in context, chapter 6 begins with him speaking to who? Slaves. People, by the American dream standards, should not have been okay with this. And he says, hey, godliness, which comes from sound teaching, is what causes you to be content. So the word contentment, what does that mean? Contentment in the Bible, and actually in general everyday language, contentment just means that you, the position that you're, it's it's more, it's actually a, a geographical term in the sense that you are in a position and that you're stable in that position. So it's kind of like you're not on an incline or a decline. You're not near a cliff. You're in a good spot. That's what contentment is, right? So here's a question I want to ask you. If contentment is about being in a good spot, who decides whether you're in a good spot or not? Well, I'd say there's two answers to that. Obviously God, but when we get on the same page with God, then so will we. So we have to find out what exactly a good spot is all about. Well, so obviously right away we can do all the opposites of envy and, 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 uh, and evil suspicions and all those things. Put those on the category of where it leads us to a right spot. And then I want to continue to read. This is the mindset that puts you in this good spot. For we brought nothing into the world. And we take nothing out. You've heard preachers say this. You've never seen... A, her, uh, a hearse carrying a U-Haul behind it? You heard that before. You know you're not going to take it with you. And so what does he say? If we have food and clothing, we will be content with this, with these. But those who want to be rich fall into the temptation, fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. So, technically... Anybody who has more than food and clothing is biblically rich. (laughs) Wow. 
Contentment is being a good spot with the basics. What does the Bible say your basics are? Well, it says bread and water, right? What are, what are the, the two biggest descriptions of what uh, Jesus provides for us with salvation? Water and the word. These are the basics. These are the essentials. So anything beyond the essentials, the Bible categorizes as luxuries. So here's what happened. I'm gonna, and I'm, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to think about what we've done in our society. In our society, there are a lot of different reasons why people want to accumulate wealth. One of the most honorable is that we want to leave something for those that go beyond us, right? The problem is when we're not content, we start getting upset about how little we're leaving for those that are beyond us. And all of a sudden, we take that same drive that, that caused us not to be content, and we focus it on something that's good. I want to make sure the kids have more. We put it this way. We want to make sure the kids uh, have what we never had. Why? You turned out pretty good. Why would you do that? And so some of us have to realize that contentment, we're going to we'll also put it this way. So for some of us, and, and this translates to society, for some cultures especially, having certain things causes us to remember what our ancestors went through and what we didn't have, and so supposedly now we have those things to show us, hey, I don't need that. One of the biggest examples I can give you are, are, are chains. So some of the reasons why, why, why Latino guys and, and, and black guys, why, why we like to wear chains and have chains is because we bought that chain, someone didn't put it on us. That's what happened. And so to have that status symbol of, look, I got this. My, my parents couldn't afford this. My ancestor was entrapped and couldn't have this. Therefore, I'm going to have this now to show something. And it does. It's cathartic. It makes us feel good. I have arrived. But here, here is where you leave a good spot. I have arrived because I have. Good spot just says, I have arrived and God has given and so when we move beyond contentment, we go beyond the essentials. And we sometimes uh, mask the, the motivation of wanting to have more with good results that may happen in the future. But the Bible says anything beyond the essentials is us being rich. Now, here's the problem with how you and I normally think. But those who want to be rich, okay, some of us work extremely hard, and the amount of work that we do translates in this society, in this culture, to a certain amount of income based on how we work, right? And some of us, it's valued higher because of maybe education, or maybe we've come into some money. Whatever it is, some of us, we all do different things, and it's based differently on how we are compensated for what we do, right? This is what you earn based on what you work, and it, it varies per person. The Bible makes the distinction between people who are rich because they have it for people who are rich, and that's what they want. And this is where contentment gets completely thrown aside. If your goal in life is to, be, is to have stuff more than the essentials, that's the devil's playground. 
okay? Because it's not about making sure that you provide for your family. We say that a lot, but sometimes it's to make sure that we can provide for our family way more than what, they, what we need. And sometimes we say it's out of love. We want to bless our family. But we bless our family by providing them with the spiritual gifts before any kind of material gifts. So he says that. It's, the, it's, it's wanting to be rich. And he says this. They fall into temptations. It's a trap. And, and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge people into ruin and destruction. And so now he makes this tie-in with the false teachers. What is their desire? What do they want? Material gain. And so Paul will bring it up in other books. He says, hey, here's what I did. If I needed something, Paul said, I, I made tents. He actually had a, a, a job that was, he was self-employed. He could start it whenever he wanted, and whenever he wanted. If he needed something, Paul would go back to this trade that he had in order to not put a pr pressure on the congregation. When they established elders and became a church, he would tell them a labor is worthy of his hire, and they need to take care of their pastor. They need to take care of their leaders. Why? Because now they're, in the, they're not in this church planting stage where Paul was like, hey, I don't want anything from you. I'm glad I didn't take anything from you because now I can make this, this distinction between me and the false teachers. But those who are actually now that we've appointed, you have to take care of them. And the false teachers did not like that. They were like, yo, we want some of that. That's the problem. That's where the love of money comes in. It's the wanting to have material gain. God will bless you with material things. And sometimes he will choose to give more to other people than he does others. And that's God's economy. That's not our problem. Some of us just don't have stuff because we don't know how to spend correctly. And some of us are always in a hole because of that. But some of us have always been in abundance because not only have we done a good job, God just may have just built us differently to be handled more stuff. And so it's not the stuff. It's the craving of the stuff instead of understanding you're in a good spot. That's where I think sometimes the conversation gets lost. I think we, we end the conversation and we say, stop loving stuff. And we don't say, be in a good spot. Because that's, that's what the key is. All right, so let's continue to move forward to what he says. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. No, he listed a ton of them, right? Evil, uh, envy, suspicion, a bunch of things. And by craving it, craving what? Money, right? Which I think also can be translated craving the stuff that goes along with that. Some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Some people have, have literally left walking with Jesus to pursue stuff. And guys, I don't want to, oh man, I don't want to sound, I, I, I'm, I, please hear me. I'm not trying to be legalistic. I just, please hear me out and know that Pastor Rob loves you. Some of us put financial well-being over congregating with God's people. And I know some of us in this economy, some of us have to work when the church meets. But some of us work and meet with the church when there's nothing else going on. Your spiritual life is built in community. And if we start putting our financial freedom and financial gain and whatever we consider the good spot to be over 
the things that God says is primary and essential for your spiritual life, we've missed the mark. We've missed what he's trying to do. And sometimes we have to let God supply for our needs instead of trying to figure out how we can do it. Okay? Some of us, we get this right away when a health issue comes up. We're on our back in a hospital bed. We can't work. And we have to trust God. It shouldn't take us being debilitated to start trusting God. Okay? And that's all I'm going to say. And I, and I hope, I hope you, you, you take that with, with the spirit which is, which is intended. That it's not about, hey, well, you got to be at church all the time. It's like, you should want to be with the church all the time. That's Christianity. And now he says, here's, here's the difference. And we'll close with this. But you, man of God. He's talking specifically to Timothy now. Okay, so Dave, let's go to the next slide. Verse 11. The Christian character in life. He said, okay, so here's Timothy. We've showed you how these guys are. Okay, the, the love of money. Now, here's how you need to be. But you, man of God, flee from these things. Okay, so he goes, hey, when you're in a good spot, don't leave it. Uh, basically eradicate the thinking about gaining a lot. Okay, and he says this, flee from them. So, you know, put some active steps towards that, right? Uh, same word that uh, is used for how Joseph fled Potiphar's house when his wife tried to seduce him. Okay, so it's that kind of action. And pursue, okay, so flee and pursue have the exact same uh, power or oomph behind it. Like just as you flee, one way you go towards something with the same kind of energy and zeal. Pursue what? Righteousness. Something that only God can give you, right? Only Jesus, only a relationship with Jesus gives you righteousness. The only one that can cause you to live a, a life that's, that's right before God is Jesus, is, is the word of, it's the only thing. Godliness. He talked about that. Sound doctrine leads to godliness. Faith, continuing to rely on him instead of stuff. Love, worrying about other people instead of yourself. Endurance, doing this for a while and all the time. The last word he used is what? Gentleness. Now for me, personally, my application is gentleness with others, but myself, gentleness with myself. Because I know many times in my life I'm not content. My upbringing has something to do with that. My, 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 my OCD has something to do with that. But mostly it's my carnality that has a lot to do with that. I want more stuff, and I'll blame it on everything else. Honestly, I, I was sharing with some of you, you know, um, I got messed up feet. I got bad feet. I have, I have deformed feet. I was born with club feet. And so I go through shoes like the Dickens, right? And so once in a while, when I buy shoes, I, I don't buy shoes a lot, but when I do, I buy really good shoes, and, I, and, I, and I'll buy multiple pairs in order so I can, you know, go cycle them without, you know, ruining all the shoes. But what happens is I'll get to the point, especially with sneakers, because I love kicks. I mean, I love, I love Jordans especially, right? I love, I love Jordans. And all of a sudden, I'll look and I'll see Man, they're on sale, and they don't just come in two colors, they come in four. See? The same thing happens in a lot of different things. To substitute shoes with whatever, and it's always about having more. Or we will say this, man, I grew up in a poor town, in a poor community. My goal is to get my, my family to live in the exact opposite of that. And so we don't go from, like, we go from, like, trying to make things better to making it, uh, pursuing stuff that, pursuing bad history, and making it better. We're pursuing, uh, we're trying to erase the hurt, or whatever it is. We're trying to erase what we don't like about our past, and we're trying to replace it 
with something that we feel is a better spot than where we were, not recognizing here's the path you took, horrible spot, to the center of God's will, and we're trying to go that way. Instead of recognizing this is the center of God's will. I love the Bible uses the word center. Because <laughs> this is where you're supposed to be. You went from there to here. This is where God wants you. Going over there is now also outside of what? The center of God's will. And so he says it, it, it all ends with us being having this, this patience and us having this gentleness to go through this pro process. And he says this, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called and about which you've made a good profession in the presence of many witnesses. So Paul is, is ending the letter. He's going he's gonna to end it. And as he's ending and he says this, Hey, Timothy, the things that I just told you about the false teachers and their motivations and the reasons why, you have to live a life that's antithetical to that. Not just better than that, completely different than that. So instead of trying to get to a spot that you feel you're better, in your spot, pursue righteousness. Pursue things that will keep you in the spot that God has you because that's where contentment is. And then he, he ends it with this, and I want to share this with you. Our pursuit of righteousness, our pursuit of faith, our pursuit of endurance, our pursuit of gentleness that causes us to be content in the right spot is a great spot to show other people where you are. Timothy says, Paul tells Timothy, your life's not in a bubble, dude. Other people see. They, just like they see the, the, the false prophets, they see how you live. And you've already had this testimony that shows that Jesus Christ has saved you and changed you. Why Don't show them anything different than that. My friends, people move. Some people move higher, some people move lower, some people move to the east, to the west. But you know what contentment is? Stability. So that people can always find their way home. 